0: Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm Mila Atmos. As we wrap up our season, we want to revisit some of the most memorable conversations and highlights that gave us so much insight into poverty in America. We look back to episodes that inspired a lot of feedback, added to our discourse, helped us revise our own thinking, and even changed the way we act. These helped us see what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong, and how we can make our society better for everyone. Gail Joseph is the Executive Director of Cultivate Learning at the University of Washington. We discussed the powerful long-term economic and societal benefits of investing in early learning and the costs of not doing so. Here's how Gail explained it to us. We do have
1: now decades of research that demonstrates that when children have access to high quality early care and education, where we have done our best effort at building their cognition, their social-emotional skills, their executive function, their early academic skills, and supported a transition into more formal schooling, into kindergarten and beyond. When those things have happened for young children, we see that they are less likely to be retained in a grade. They're less likely to be placed into special education. They are more likely to complete high school. Those things that I mentioned, like retention in a grade, being placed in special education, certainly high school dropout, those things cost us more, right? They cost society a lot more. So not only is there a moral and ethical reason to invest in early care and education, there's certainly
0: an economic benefit as well. Investing in human beings always pays off. How can we engage here? We need to support teachers in our community with fair wages and access to high-quality education so that they, in turn, can be good educators to our children. And we also need to compel our government to support early learning initiatives such as universal pre-K, which have been proven to help our children grow into adults who operate at their full potential as responsible citizens and contribute to our society. Stephen Bright is a passionate and dedicated advocate for the poor who are accused of a capital crime. He was the president of the Southern Center for Human Rights and is currently lecturing at Yale Law School and Georgia State College of Law, inspiring his students to work towards a more just legal system. We discussed the death penalty in the U.S. and its relation to poverty, race, and disadvantage. Let's listen back to what he had to say.
2: Well, all the people on death row are poor, and the most critical thing about poverty in the court system is having a court appointed lawyer. And many cases are decided right there. If a person accused of a capital crime is assigned a lawyer who is not up to the task of representing someone in a murder case and in a death penalty case, you've sealed that person's fate right then. The case is basically rigged sort of like a professional wrestling match, because if you don't have a competent lawyer, if that lawyer doesn't have access to investigators, to expert witnesses, to what's required today in the courts to defend a case and to present a case, uh, then that person is not going to have much hope of avoiding being sentenced to death.
0: In fact, it sounds like it's much worse than that. From some of the examples that you cited, some Lawyers are drunk or fall asleep, and that goes well beyond not being competent to try a capital case.
2: Yes, that's the great shame of the legal system, that it tolerates that. We've had three people sentenced to death in uh, Houston, Texas for example in cases in which the lawyer slept during parts of the trial. And one person, George McFarlane, is still under death sentence in Texas even though his lawyer fell asleep and even snored during his trial. There have also been cases, as you mentioned, where the lawyers were under the influence of alcohol. I had one case where the lawyer uh, fell over in court because of his alcohol consumption and couldn't get up. The judge had the deputies lift him up and, and take him to jail and continue the trial for a day and then the next day produce both lawyer and client from the jail and resume the trial. This is totally unacceptable in any real system of justice.
0: It's simply shocking that our legal system meets out injustice in this way. It comes as no surprise that the people on death row are all poor and primarily people of color who stand no chance of winning their cases. We are blessed by people like Stephen Bright, who has made it his life's work to challenge the injustice of our current system through his work in representing the accused and to make sure that they don't stand alone in the courts and can receive the kind of justice that the Constitution promises. The expert on poverty, Catherine Eden, and her work in the domains of welfare made a deep impression on us. Her book, $2 a Day, The Art of Living on Virtually Nothing in America, is a searing expose on the destitution in our midst. The evisceration of welfare has, in essence, created a poverty trap in which people can only survive their severe hardship at an immense cost. Most striking is the proof that the poor are probably the most hardworking, resourceful, and enterprising members of American society, simply because they have to be. Here she speaks of Paul Heckwelder in Cleveland,
3: Ohio. The guy is amazing. He's a grandfather uh, owned a family business. They had a number of stores across Ohio. And one by one, they went by the wayside in the aftermath of the Great uh, Recession, uh, meaning that everyone in the family lost their job. More than 20 individuals end up living in this tiny two-bedroom wood frame house on the west side of Cleveland. That has seen a lot of wear. The front porch is beginning to sag so badly, it's coming apart from the house. So these 22 people are all there living on Paul's disability check. He severed a foot with a steel beam while working in a steel mill, and now can't walk on the foot. So they're living just on that little bit of money. He used excess food from the food pantry to plant a victory garden in the backyard. He and the grandkids sit up there with an air gun chasing away the rats. And Then the wash, uh, the wash machine trick, you manually feed the water through the washing machine repeatedly so you can get more loads through without having to use additional water. All of these entrepreneurial strategies are, are things that he uses to get his family through this incredibly challenging time. We still think about her findings upon
0: asking what poor people really want. They want to belong and contribute to our society, to be valued for what they bring to the table. All of us have different skills and gifts that can enrich our collective humanity. Imagine if we actually did that. Maria Foscarinas, the executive director of the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty, suggested a way to do so. At least look the homeless people in the eyes, greet them, and treat them like human beings. We are enthusiastically working on our new season where we explore the power of protest and other civic action, and we look forward to sharing it with you on May 11th. Until then, catch up on past episodes on Apple Podcasts, and please drop us a line. We'd love to hear your feedback on the show, your thoughts and suggestions as we move forward you can email us at hello at futurehindsight.com. Thank you.